Good morning, church. It's so good to be together. Uh, we are so excited for next week, and we hope that you will continue to worship with us, whether online or here in person. Um, and as we prepare our hearts for God's Word, would you stand with me for the reading of Scripture? Galatians chapter 1, and I'm going to read uh, just a few of these verses. It says this, For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, Thank you this morning for this chance to be together, to reflect on your gospel together. And Lord, I just pray that your authority would speak, that each of us in all of our different places, um, that we would have hearts that are soft and open to your voice. So we give this time to you and we trust God that you will speak in each of our unique circumstances. We love you. We praise you, we thank you for your provision, um, and we look forward to hearing from you again. And we pray this in the name of Jesus, amen. This morning we're in the third week of our Galatians, Galatians series, and we've been working our way through slowly the book of Galatians and talking about every week the gospel, the good news that Jesus came to earth, the Son of God, to die on a cross for you and me to rescue us from our sins, and why this is the good news. And today in this text, Paul is defending this good news titling this, so, this sermon, Gospel Authority. What gives the gospel authority? What gives Paul authority to speak into me so that I listen? Do you ever have those moments when you maybe are, it's kind of one of those who do you think you are kind of moments? I have it all the time with my kids. Sometimes they, they forget who is in charge of who, and, and they start dictating to me or Brianna about bedtime, about screen time, about what's for dinner. And I have to say, who do you think you are? I am the father in this relationship. I have the authority, and you must submit to me. Or maybe you've been walking around in the grocery store, and I know a lot of moms can relate to this, and maybe your child is, is having one of those temper tantrums and, and, and screaming and maybe there's someone, some complete stranger wants to come up to you and give you advice and tell you how you should uh, be taking care of your child or giving you a bless your heart kind of statement. And I know in your head you're thinking, who do you think you are? Or maybe at the golf course. You're out golfing with some friends and, and somebody is coming up to you, you don't even know them, and they're trying to tell you how to fix your swing. And, in, and you're thinking, who is this guy? Who 
defends this person. And in this text that we're reading, Paul is defending who he is. And even more importantly, he is defending, hear this, the authority of the gospel. He is saying this good news of what Jesus has done, like what we talked about last week, for you is the most important thing that not only do you, should we not compromise, but that you should listen to. And here is the thesis that Paul gives us. This is his purpose. Paul's thesis for the gospel authority is this. The gospel has authority in your life because Jesus. Because Jesus. In this text he says, I didn't receive this gospel from man. I received it from Jesus. A bunch of our ladies are doing the precepts Bible study through Galatians. And what I love about that study, and one of the, I was over, kind of looking over the first chapter of the study and learning with them. And in the beginning of the study, there's this statement to say, as you read this text, recognize that you're not just reading a letter from Paul. You get to read the voice of Jesus himself speaking through Paul, and that has authority. And Paul here is saying, this authority I have is delegated to me because I received it from Jesus. So when you hear this, you are hearing Jesus himself. And I think as, as, as you go through this text all the way to verse 24, I would encourage you, I'm going to highlight some of Paul's argument for the gospel authority. But what I, what I want you to understand here is first and foremost, Paul wants you to know, wants the Galatian church to know who are being attacked by outside forces that are saying the gospel is okay, but, but let's add on these other important things. Let's add on this law. You gotta be circumcised, you gotta, you gotta be a Jew to be a Christian. And Paul's saying, no, Jesus came to save all people, anyone who believes. And he says, and I have authority first because Jesus came to me. Because Jesus came to me. He goes on to tell them, he goes on to tell them here, he talks about his former way of life. He says, look at me. I once was against him. I once was totally against Jesus. I thought this was a total attack on our faith and our circumstances. And, and, I, and, I, and I was totally uh, living out murderous threats against the church. And I was the religious of the religious. I was the honor student. I was the one that set the curve in Sunday school class. The one who knew all the answers. But he says, Jesus came to me. The gospel has authority because Jesus came to me. And he's referring to the road to Damascus when Paul was blinded by the presence of Jesus, and he shares this story a few times in, in, in Acts and also here of how Jesus came to him personally and revealed himself. And we see here, he says, uh, when Jesus came to him, he revealed himself. 
He says, I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. And this of, this revelation of Jesus Christ, a lot of people say, well, is this, did he have revelation about who Jesus was, or was this a revelation from Jesus Christ? And I believe the answer is both. In that moment, he came to know that Jesus truly was the Son of God, that Jesus truly was the promised Messiah that came to die for his sins and, and bring him peace. But he also came to know Jesus personally. And he's saying, Jesus came to me. But Jesus didn't just come to me, he also chose me. He chose me. He says the gospel has authority because he chose me. Look at what he says here. As he's defending this thesis, he says, he talks about his story a little bit. And then in verse 15, he says, but when he, this is talking about the Father, the Lord, who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me. In other words, he came and got me. Paul's saying, I thought I was with the Lord and I was against him and he came and he got me. He chose me. We call this in theology election. I was chosen, and I was chosen not in a spur of the moment. This was God's plan the entire time. This idea of being called, this is not like when I call to somebody and I hope that they come. It's not like when I make a phone call and I go straight to voicemail. This is an effectual call. It's a call that you cannot resist. And Paul is saying, Jesus called me. And his calling did something in me and, and changed me, and I couldn't resist it. He wrote about this in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4. He said, He chose us in him before the foundations of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. You know, one of the songs that I love to sing is a song, song called, Came to My Rescue. It's this wonderful, beautiful song where you say, I called and he answered and he came to my rescue. And I love singing that song and, and there's so much truth in that song. But I think sometimes I miss the fact that when you come to know the Lord, He calls you. He seems to do something in you. And maybe even as you read this and you think about the authority of the Lord, maybe you start feeling Him calling you right now. And there needs to be some sort of response. And so Paul is telling the Galatians, the reason why this gospel has authority, hear this, is that uh, Jesus came to me. He gave this to me. It's his gospel. He chose me, but also he sent me. He sent me. Look at what he says here. He keeps going on. He says, he was pleased to reveal his son to me in verse 16 in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. And I did not immediately consult with anyone. Paul says, as soon as I was called, as soon as the Lord did this in me, I got to work. 
And this is a really important truth. You see, saved people are sent people. He didn't say, as soon as this happened to me, I needed to get ordained. As soon as this happened to me, it was time for me to take the membership class, or it was time for me to to go to seminary, or it was time for me. There's a training involved in all of that, but he says, as soon as Jesus called me and chose me and did something in me, I was sent to proclaim. And he wants the Galatian church to know this. He wants them to know that it wasn't like Peter and the other apostles did something and, and, and trained him up and sent him. He wants them to know when he speaks in authority, when we read this, we should read this as the authority that came from Jesus Christ, our Lord himself. So he wants them to know that he was sent, but also that Jesus trained him. You see, the gospel has authority because Jesus came to me, he chose me, he sent me, and he trained me. Paul goes on in this to, to talk about this training. He says, you know, I didn't immediately go and, 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 and get training from the apostles. He says he went for three years to Arabia. And there's a lot of questions about what really happened in those three years. It's kind of a, an unknown time in Scripture. There's little insights in Corinthians about some, some, some experiences that Paul had, but a lot of commentators question what exactly happened in these three years. Paul was kind of off by himself. We know we, we can assume that he was preaching the gospel because he said he was right away. But a lot of people, John Stott in particular, in one of his commentary, commentaries, comments that, you know, it's interesting, the disciples had three years with Jesus in their training. And maybe this was a time for Paul, as he's preaching the gospel, where he is getting direct revelation. And remember, he, he was trained up in the religious temple. He was trained up as a Pharisee, so he knew the whole law. And so over these three years, I imagine he's starting to put all the pieces together. If you go and read Romans and all the theology and all the doctrine in Romans, I'm sure that a lot of that came together over these three years as the Lord is opening up his eyes to Jesus in the entire Torah to seeing the entire message. And so he is being trained by Jesus. And I think, once again, this this relates to the being sent. Far too often we miss this and we think, man, I need to be trained by this program. And those, I don't want to at all suggest that you shouldn't go to seminary, that you shouldn't do membership classes, that you shouldn't study your Bible, that you shouldn't be in Bible studies. But all of that is meant to be done in community and done as a sent person, as a trained, in-training person. And so Paul's making this argument, but the most important piece of his argument is at the end here. He wants them to know that Jesus came to him, nobody else. That Jesus chose him, nobody else. That Jesus sent him, nobody else. And that Jesus trained him, but most importantly, this is gospel, that Jesus changed him. He's saying, look at me, Jesus changed me. And we can see this at the end here. If you keep reading along, he says in chapter 1, 
he, he, he's making these points, and then he, he goes on at the end of chapter 1. He says in verse 22, And I was still, he comes back from his missionary journey to be with Peter and James, and he says, And I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only were hearing it said, He who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. Paul is saying, I once was against him. If you remember in the story of Acts, the first martyr, Stephen, when he was stoned to death, Saul was there. This is who Paul was before he came to know Christ. He was there, and he was holding the coats and witnessing and affirming the, the, the crowd killing Stephen, stoning him to death. And straight in that text, if you read through that in your reading plans, you can also see that straight out of that, Saul starts to attack and threaten and persecute the church until Jesus shows up. And Paul is saying, look at me. He's saying, my greatest authority, hear this, is not just because Jesus came to me. It's not just because I figured out how everything works together. His greatest apologetic is the fact that he's changed that his story is forever changed because of the gospel. You see, the, far too often when we think about the gospel, we put it in words, and we want to explain it, and we want to use all of these stories about, about how it works, and we want to define it, and that's fine, but truly the best picture of the gospel is life change. Is the song Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. It's grace. And that is the authority that the gospel has that nothing else does. It is what sets apart Christianity from all other religions because you don't earn it. You don't earn your way up the mountain. We've shared this so many times. Jesus comes down to you and gives you grace. And as we think about this, we must ask ourselves: with the Galatian church, with Paul, especially in these times, does the gospel have authority in your life? When I read the gospel... Does that have authority in my life? And some questions you may ask with me that help us to recognize that there's, there's, there's also voices that are challenging the gospel authority, that are saying, yeah, I get that, but you need this. And I want to go over real quickly some of these voices. First, as you think about this gospel authority that Paul is speaking into and wants us to receive and live out is first, you, need, you don't need Jesus to come to you. Paul says here, I thought I had it all figured out. I was following the law. I was the Pharisee of the Pharisees. And, and, and for, for many of us, when we think about the gospel, we think that's a great story. That's amazing that Jesus died. But I think I got this. I'm a pretty good person. I feel like 
when I stand at the white pearly gates and the Lord looks at me and he compares my life to the rest of the world, I, I feel like I'm going to get a passing grade. I feel like I'm going to be good enough as long as I keep working at these things. But friends, that is such a wrong view of our sin and our position and of our God because we serve a God that is just and holy that all sin, whether it's a little white lie or murder, puts us in the camp of not good. You see, the truth is nobody is good apart from Christ. This is why Paul in Romans wrote, none is righteous. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. And so we must embrace that I'm not good, but because of Jesus and because he came to me and chose me, I am righteous in his eyes. And we're going to talk about that later on in this series as Paul talks about just fun word called justification. But another voice that also speaks into us that we listen to is a voice that says, you aren't good enough to be cho chosen. This is the flip side. One voice says, you're too good. You don't need to be chosen. The other one says, you're not good enough. Jesus would never come to save you. Look at all the issues you have in your life, all those struggles that you would do that to your spouse, that you would do that to your family, that you would fall into those struggles. You're not good enough. And once again, that is Satan speaking into me and causing me to miss this truth, friend, that Jesus came to save sinners, that Jesus came to save the ungodly and, and, and the thief on the cross that was right next to him was saved through just a simple faith in Jesus, in Jesus. This is why the cross is so important to think about. This is why it is so radical and scandalous to think that the Son of God himself a deity, our deity, would come and live among us and live a perfect life and pour out his perfect blood for our sins. Of course you aren't good enough, but that's what grace says. Grace says, I come to you and I love you and receive this grace. Another voice is this. It says you're not ready. You're not ready to go. You know, you got to get your affairs in order first. You need, to, you need to start being more of a regular in church. You need to kind of work some stuff out before you can really receive the gospel, before you can really start sharing the gospel. And once again, th that is nowhere in Scripture. God constantly uses broken, fallen people for his glory. Just go and read through the Old Testament and look at the story of, of Noah, who was a drunk. The story of Abraham, who was a liar. 
The story of David, it says that we say that David was a man after God's own heart, yet he, he fell and committed adultery and then killed the husband of the woman he committed adultery with. We look at these stories and we recognize that God uses broken vessels for his light to shine through. Which leads to the other voice that says, you can't change. You can't change. There's nothing you can do. That pornography addiction that you have, you're never going to be able to overcome that. You're never going to get victory over that. That struggle that you have in your marriage, that anger that you have in you, that depression that you keep self-medicating yourself with, you can't change. And Paul here is saying, that's a lie. He's saying you can. And so the question for us is, how do I give the gospel authority? How do I give the gospel authority? And here's what I believe is so important. First, you believe it. You believe it. Romans says, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, then you will be saved. You believe that what Jesus did on the cross for you is absolutely more than enough. And you embrace it. And you don't just hear this. This is so important. We don't just believe this because Jesus is the Son of God, so He has authority. He is God Himself, the second member of the Trinity. We don't just believe that because we know that we're listening to His words, our resurrected Lord. We also believe that because He has a relational authority to speak into us. Well, here's what I mean. You see, there's a relational authority that is earned from somebody that has done things, that has lived through things with you. I remember my brother, a while back, he was uh, taking his car to pick and pull to drop off. It was the final journey of his car. And unfortunately, my brother Seth, his car didn't make it. And I remember he was about two hours away in Tracy or somewhere around there, and he sent me a text of his car on the side of the road on fire. And he's sitting there and he, and he has this picture of him with a hamper and a, um, like a Rasta um, stuffed animal that he won at Great America and his car is on fire. And the caption says, this car is on fire. And I said, I'm on my way. Now, if I got that text from a ran random stranger, I would probably say, who do you think you are? I'm not going to drop everything and go and help you out, but this is my brother. This is the one that was on the bottom bunk with me for years, sharing a room with me. The one that was in my wedding, the one that has walked through so much with me. So of course I would go and, 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 and give him a ride and, and drop everything for that. And how much more as we think about the gospel of Jesus Christ and what he tells us he has done, do I listen to him? He died. This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us 
and sent His Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. The gospel is relational. You can have that relationship. So listen to that and believe it, but also hear this, do what it says. Do what it says. Friends, the gospel does have imperatives. Hear this. When Jesus changes you, he, ch he does change you into someone that is a new creation. And his new creation, in response to what he has done, not as a way of earning, then follows his lead. This is why my heart breaks when I see these stories today uh, of racism, of, of, a, of a white police officer with his knee on the neck of this black man. And why as we look at that, we know that is unjust, that is wrong, that is sinful. And as God's people, we stand up against that and we think the gospel tells us, what do I do in response? And I want you to hear this. When we struggle with things like this, and we and I think about things like this, yes, we should, we should send out tweets and we should post things, but I think most importantly, the gospel starts to say, what in me has been changed? What in me is Jesus saying, do I need to correct? Do I need to, to, to reach out and focus on? I know for me, as I've been thinking about just this week, is the own, ra own possible racism in my own heart. And asking the Lord and his, and his truth to say, Logan, you need to view everyone in the image of God. And you need to listen. And you need to work at loving all people because all are created because the gospel says that Jesus came for all people. And that starts all the way in the Garden of Eden in Genesis chapter 3 when, it, when, when man fell into sin. He says that, that the serpent would come, but the seed of the woman would crush the serpent. That's the gospel right there. And it's all throughout that through the blessing of the Lord, we would bless nations, all people, and so as I think about the gospel, I also must ask myself, what is the gospel speaking into me? What is the gospel moving me to do in light of this? And if you're wondering what are those to-dos, I would encourage you, go read the life of Jesus. In particular, go read Matthew chapter 5 through 7 and read the Sermon on the Mount where he talks about how in the kingdom of God, which are gospel citizens, which are people that have come to know Jesus as their Lord, that, that are a part of his ways, those Christians that live as a part of his kingdom, they are the kind of people that love those who curse them. They, they, they bless those who curse them. They don't just bless them, they pray for those who persecute them. When somebody asks for them to go a mile, they go a second mile. When somebody asks to borrow their coat, they give it to them. When somebody uh, strikes you on the cheek, you turn the other cheek. 
There's this radicalness to the people of Jesus, not as a way of earning, but as a response to what he has done. And in the end of that chapter, when Jesus is talking about his ways, I want to read to you from Matthew chapter 5 about what, what happened with the crowds. It said this, And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. For he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. Does the gospel have authority in your life? If it does, do what it says. Do what our Savior tells us to do and live in response to that. And finally, share it honestly. How do I give the gospel authority? I believe it, I do what it says, and I share it honestly. Here's what I mean. Paul understood that his gospel was from Christ, that Christ came to him, gave it to him, sent him out, trained him, but most importantly, that his best apologetic, his, the most convincing picture of the gospel was his very life, that he was once this way and now he's this way, that he was changed. And if you are a believer, you have that same story. It may not be a Saul to Paul story. It may not be on the road to Damascus. You had this light bulb come, come on, this revelation come on, and all of a sudden everything changed. It may be that you grew up in the church. It may be that you grew up baptized as an infant in the covenant community, and over the years as you came to know of who Jesus is, you came to know him personally and profess your faith in him. And those are the stories that we must tell as well. Those are the stories that I long for my children to know. And all of those stories are beautiful because it is a story of Jesus calling his own and changing them. And that is what the people were glorifying God over. And Paul understood this. And when he told his story, hear this, he told it, told it honestly and humbly. You see, there's a humility that comes in sharing our story. Paul wrote this in Timothy. He said, This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. Hear this, that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. And Paul says, Of who I am the foremost. But I received mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, the sinner of sinners, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. See, our story gives him the glory. And so as we think about this together, church, family, and friends, I just want to encourage you. Believe the gospel. Don't add to it. Believe that when we read this from Paul, that we're not just reading his opinions or his theology, that we are reading his revelation from Jesus Christ himself. And that we are reading a word that is for us. And as we read this, believe it to be true.
And please, do what it says. And when we do what it says, do what the scriptures say. Not what the media says, not what the news channels say, not even what our friends may say. Do what the scriptures are and the Spirit of God is speaking in us to do as His people. And as we do that, share that good news. And remember, you're sent if you're saved. And your greatest declaration of the gospel is your story. In a few moments, we're going to sing a song together. Or maybe you're just going to listen to this song wherever you are. And this song's going to open up with a a chance just to declare what we believe as a church. Declare the things that we believe are essential to faith in Jesus Christ. Things that we cannot compromise. But out of that, we're also going to sing this song that says, O Christ, be the center of my life. Be the one who I fix my eyes upon. And as you sing that or listen to that, my prayer is that you would join us in making that your declaration. That you would believe these things to be true and live them out in a world that needs this good news. Would you pray with me? Lord, thank you for your gospel. Lord, may this gospel that you, Jesus, died on a cross to rescue me from my sins. May this gospel, God, be one that changes us, that moves us in obedience to your guidance. We love you, we thank you, we praise you for what you're doing, and we pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior and our Lord. Amen.